The following podcast is brought to you by Astro Panda Productions. For more information or to find other great shows, visit astropandaproductions.com or visit the Astro Panda Productions page on blogtalkradio.com. Welcome back to Geekish Cast. This is Season 5, Episode 1, Larry Nemechek and the P-Captains. I am your host, Jeremy Vilmer, and now joining us from the Orion <laughs> Colonies, Dr. Track Larry Nemechek. How are you doing there, Larry? Hey, I'm, I'm good, Jeremy. Just the way you said that, I was just like, and the Captains of P. Well, exactly. that's just getting bizarre. Well, okay, you know. We've taken a turn. Yeah, it's, it's, we got we to gotta pitch to a new audience these days, you know? Things are a little edgier, a little darker, a little grimmer. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You thought DS9 was the darker, grittier show. <laughs> Boy, was I wrong. This is not your father's gritty. That is true. <laughs> so, Larry, what is going on in the world of Larry Nemechek these days? Oh, wow. Well, it's, uh, you know, New Year 2019, a lot of uh, fun stuff. So, uh, Stellar Cartography, the update just came out, and we just had a... a my, my Tuesdays live, my Trekman Tuesdays live that I do every week at one o'clock Pacific, is, which is just on Facebook, is a lot of fun because I get to talk about things of the week, but hopefully not on the nose, like I think half of the internet is either doing or making up, which is even worse. Mm-hmm. But I, it's like I've got a lot more European uh, people involved, and we've had a lot of Europeans join Portal Forty Seven. You know, my my kind of monthly deep dive package for people. It's a kind of I don't think anything else exists like that. So I'm I'm name dropping a lot here, but the thing that oh, I'm excited about right now is that um, you know I work with the Geek Nation tours and we do these big week to ten day tours every two or three years before Las Vegas, and the next one's not coming up until 2020 before the Vegas convention. Mm-hmm. And meantime, I have a, a new entity called Trekland Treks that I did, which is day tours around LA to the Star Trek film sites. So that's been interesting, and and now I've got an event coming up, and it's coming up very shortly. But uh, February 16th and 17th, President's Day weekend, it's called LA Away Days, and I just got the page. I'm I'm running late with it, but I just got the pages up for both Trekland Treks and for the LA Away Days, and uh, um, I'm just really excited because it's day tours of of film sites, and whereas Trekland Treks is a completely you know, customized, concierge, hey, if you're coming to L.A. on a vacation or a business trip and you've got a spare day, get, get in touch with me and here's my list of – here's like over 40 places. Pick four of the – you know, two two large and two small out for a day and lunch and that's, that's a Trekland Trek day tour that you organize. L.A. Away days are set ones that I'm doing for like about half the cost that will be like on a day and a set plan. So those are up now, finally, and um, at uh, LA Away Days uh, at LarryNimichek dot uh, slash slash Away Days, and um, February sixteenth and seventeenth. So I'm rushing around to get that done, but 
I love that because it's we don't you know we go to the film sites and people love that it's just a it's just a visceral thing and they they sometimes they bring their uniforms or costume and they cosplay and we take pictures, but also it's just a great way to talk about you know again a deep dive into Star Trek. You know, on one level, it's trivia. Oh, on these days, this was filmed here, and some of the sites were used multiple times for different purposes. Mm-hmm. But it also is a great deep dive into like TV and media and how TV is made and how maybe TV was made in the 60s or the 80s, you know, or the 90s, and and some greater Hollywood, you know, background to that. Oh, this was also this was also the Batcave, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> in the 60s. I mean, that kind of thing. And then just you know, people getting out and around. If they're if they're not from SoCal and they, you know, it's a it overlaps with a lot of. Um, just Los Angeles sightseeing, so the significant others can come along and, and be entertained most of the time. So that's kind of a, a latent part that's, um, you know, it's one way to bring Star Trek alive. And no matter what's, you know, no matter that it's been 50 years since the original series or 30 years since Next Generation, it's a way to bring Star Trek alive for everybody. And um, again, with, you know, LA Away team, uh, LA Away days. It's it's the group dynamic too. It's a small group, so um, depending on how many wind up coming. So anyway, so I'm excited about that. I know it's kind of late to be talking about it, but uh, hopefully we'll do that, and then I'll we'll be repeating that. But I just wanted to get going and get started this year sure. with and offer that. Well, and, it, and again, it introduces the whole like my whole day tour uh, thing with the Trekline Treks in general, which is again can be customized to when people are. You know, if they're if they're looking up and they come, you know, they want to take the Hollywood Cemetery tour. Okay, fine. Or they want to take a studio tour. That's great. But I will also say that on the tracks, um, going to Paramount and piggybacking their tour with me there, which is something we do on the big tour with Geek Nation um, tours. That's the thing too that we benefit. I piggyback the regular like Paramount guide, and and every time I've gone in that situation. I talk to them and say, whether it's like with the big tour or just me with two or three people, and I say, now, I don't want to f- feel like I'm like getting in the way of yours, but I've got truck people here, and they want to specifically hear things. And usually the Paramount page will say, who's giving the tour, will say, oh, my God, no, I will listen to you. It's like I'm taking notes every time you talk because <laughs> they have a lot of Trek information in their tour, but it's it's more generic. You know, it's general. Oh, sure. Well, and you've got um, what I would actually call, like, long-term memory with Star Trek that I'm sure that a, a page there doesn't have. You know, they've but, heard it, but you've you've been around for a big chunk of it. Well, and they, you know, they hear from, like, other, you know, occasionally fans too. But, and I, um, one of the first times we did the big tour, I learned something I'd not known, which I was, <laughs> and then I was kind of angry. It's like, what? I didn't. I've been around this lot for twenty something years, and I never knew this. But uh, but that's I mean I'm kidding. But that's great. It's like so it's like always be open to you know like with anything be open to learning new things, and you never know when what's what's emerged. It's like when I do tours at Will Rogers State Park out here as a docent, to- totally different arena. But you know you all it's always good to hear different voices and different views. But um, just just to let folks know if you're in LA and you want to you know go to the Warner's tour, go to the Universal tour, which is really a tourist thing. But the Warner Studio, they actually have a real museum and 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 their tour is is incredible too. But if you're going to do the Paramount one, come through me and we'll piggyback it um, that way. Yeah, that would be cool. So yeah, uh, this kind of grows off of back when you and I first started talking about two or three years ago. You was it Portal Forty Seven that you were launching around that time, or had just launched like a year or so in advance of that? Yeah, we're just starting. I had the third anniversary for Portal um, in September, in October. 
So, yeah, we're into our fourth year now. Yeah, so the idea there, if I remember correctly, uh, you were kind of doing, you know, things that you call deep dives, but also like year-round mini-conventions was sort of the conceit behind it, if I remember correctly. Right, right. Well, I say Portal 47 is for all the fan- Trek fans who have no idea how much Star Trek they have no idea about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was it grew out of a, a frustration and a desire for me having worked front lines all through like the last two thirds of the Berman era, I, to put it that way, and the movies then, and then to have been an original series fan, and to have you know done the magazine and fact file, done communicator and fact files, and run those things and worked in licensing and done events, to know so many folks, not just the actors, and they're beautiful and lovable, and we love their charisma, but their stories are all about. You know, that's just such a small piece of the Star Trek pie. And even talking to the writers is another. The writers are largely, writer and producer writers are largely ignored because they're not stars. But they're better known and increasingly as we've got, you know, social media and all that to be in touch with that. And that's wonderful. But backtracking back to then, and that's like the interviews I did for years and my Trekline on speaker CDs get back at that people in the day talking in detail. But even more than that, the folks on stage, the assistants, the the stand-ins, the stunt people, and then all the designers and the crew people under the designers, there is so much Star Trek, both people's specific memories, like Alan Sims says, well, the reason we never saw the Ferengi whips again was this, and it's a wacky story, but it's also having those people talk about you know um, all the all the producers and writers, people they work with, their their colleagues, and some of them are no longer with us. You know, Michael Pillar's no longer with us. Bob Justman is no longer with us in the original series. So, Portal is is literally a portal to all of that. That and you know that you don't get at a convention now. At you know, and even at the large, even at Vegas, and now they're on the where they're not to date this, but they're cruising right now. And good on. CBS and creation and who and destination in Europe they're adding more behind the scenes people but it's it's such a tr- you know the the format a convention format or even interviews or even podcasts it's such a trickle for what is out there for to hear from people and uh, from these folks that have you know and a lot of them are very humble they don't think of themselves as they're, they're not an actor they're not a producer it's a lot of times I if you're talking to the second assistant prop person or whatever or the uh, you know whatever uh, stand-ins and stunt people and all of that, um, or even the designers, and they're like, oh, you know, I don't, I don't remember that much, or I don't, you know, I don't have a, it's all, it's been thirty years, it's been twenty years, it's like no, you poo-poo that because just once you a get them started, they always come up with remember, you know, and if I can poke them and prod them and have you know, kickoff points. Because we do these with folks muted. So it's like an interview chat with me for an hour when we have our guest night, which is what I'm talking about here. We have three telebriefings a month. They're the live interaction, kind of the kingpin of the ten features every month. That's why I say it's a mini-con every month. Um, and we have three telebriefings. Two of those are what I call the Ask Dr. Trek Roundtable, which is me and everybody peppering me with whatever they want to talk about. And since Star Trek has come – you know, I organized this. I, I developed this. At the what we didn't know was the end of the fallow times, <laughs> but I launched this, and then three months later they came out with the first announcement that there would be a new trek, you know, during the holidays of 2015. Yeah. And since then, 
the roundtables, the Ask Dr. Treks, we always – the main thing is what's going on with the Trek headlines and news, and everybody wants to talk about it. Ask me what I think. I throw some ideas out, maybe get people you know, thinking in a different way, but people share. Um, and, and that's what's happened there, but we're, you know, it's, it's old and new. But the guest telebriefing night every month, we, one and one Ask Dr. Trek is on American primetime evening. One is now that I've added is on Europe's primetime evening, so it's not three in the morning for them. And then the Australians find their way in there somewhere. But guest night uh, is once a month, and sometimes we've had two in a month. Um, guest night is I, – I really feel like it's its the apex of what I wanted Portal 47 to be because at least once, hopefully more than that, but at least once, um, you know, we've had security guards on. We've had – who have great stories. But at least once, people come away and go, oh, my God, that was a moment. You know, yeah. or that was something new. Or whatever, and um, you just part of it's a lot of them I've known already, or I've talked to 20 years ago, and circle back and get them. But that's again, it's me dipping into my Rolodex for folks that, you know, even interviews in magazines. Maybe they've had one, maybe they've never had anybody talk to them, you know, publicly recorded. And since everything was recorded, all our telebriefings are recorded, and the members get those later on. If they're not there live, they can send things in questions in advance. If they were there, they've got it. Whether they were there or not, they've got a copy of the the thing and of the time, and it's visual. So we have slideshows going by, and we've got webcam capacity. So it's um it's it's pretty awesome. My only frustration is communicating, as you can tell here, mm-hmm. <laughs> what it is, and getting it out to people. But I'm just pretty excited, and I've got folks talking about. It. I need to get a little video up of some of the you know the testimonials. Of everybody, because um, I just had somebody on Twitter. I've, I'm running, a, a winding up. A, I tell you what, there is a. We're recording this today. You're going to be out within a couple of days of it. Yes. Um, I have. Uh, I had a Holly deal special where I was about to leave the old rate behind and go up just a couple of bucks a month more. But I tell you what, anybody, it's going to end at um, at uh, midnight the day we're recording this. But I tell you what, anybody that's listening to the Geekish Cast, if you email me. At Larry at LarryNemechek.com, uh, and tell me you heard me talking about this on your show. I'll extend that to whenever you know, um, within the, in the month of January. How about that? There somebody, we go. Yeah. Somebody's listening to this three years from now. Can't do that. But if you get back to me within that, you're listening now, and you get back within the month of January, 2019. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll honor the uh, the current the expiring. Uh, which is 27 bucks a month, which I figure is like two. It's about to go up to 32, but I fig- which are, where it's it's been at 27 now for three for all but the first year. So, but that's like you know two movie tickets a month, or the 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 elite say two lattes a month. The elite being the 80 percent of the population now. Exactly. <laughs> but anyway, I'll do that for your listeners. And fantastic. And, well, thank and there's you. a bonus. There's a freebie CD in there, bonus or something. So I'll honor any that's sitting on the page. It's about to go away right now. How about that? Fantastic. That sounds good. Well, and so Larry, the easiest way for people listening to find out any information about Portal 47 or Tuesday's Live or anything you're doing would be to go to LarryNamachek.com. That's the hub. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. So, and from there they Better should. Right. With, with a little bit of digging, they should be able to find out information about anything. Hopefully not too pa- too far past the menu bar at the top of the homepage. So, yeah, my blog and, and videos and everything are there. Perfect. Yeah. 
Well, I'll tell you what, we are going to take a quick break, but before we do that, I want to tell everybody you can get the newest edition of Stellar Cartography, which is a collection of beautiful maps that you have worked on. If they mm-hmm. go to tinyurl.com slash Maps, it'll take them right to the page on Amazon where they can buy the newest edition, and that's my affiliate awesome. page, so they can throw you a couple bucks by buying it, and I get a couple bucks by uh, sending them that direction. And we are going to take a quick commercial break, and then we will be right back, and we are going to talk about how Star Trek's future appears to be anchored to Star Trek's past. I heard there was a topic. uh, There was a rumor, so I'm glad. I'll I'll be back for that. Fantastic. All right, everybody, hang in for just a second, and we will be right back. All right, everybody, thank you for hanging in there. Larry, thank you for hanging in. I I do appreciate you sitting through the commercials (laughs) as well. So, of course, of course. Yeah. So, um, Small price to pay. Absolutely. So as you were saying, back in 2015, there were announcements of a new Star Trek series coming up on a new streaming platform for CBS, um, which is where we got Star Trek Discovery. Star Trek Discovery ended on a moment that actually brought tears to my eyes in its first season where I realized that we were going to see Captain Pike, which is probably one of the least talked about or known captains from Star Trek's history. But then last year, they also announced that there was going to be a new Picard series, which is probably one of the most known Starfleet personnel in history. Mm -hmm. And I kind of wanted to dig into those characters a little bit. Um, I figured you are a good person to do it, because you have literally forgotten more about Star Trek than most of us have ever learned. (laughs) But I know where to look it up. Exactly. Or who to ask. Yeah. I know who to ask. (laughs) What you have forgotten, you know how to research. So one of the things I wanted to... Or those are the two things I wanted to dig into a little bit, because... Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to share a little story here from when I was a child. You know, I was born a little bit after Star Trek went off the air. My third birthday, my mom actually baked me a Enterprise cake and was all Mar- Amigo Star Trek toys and things like that. Oh, that's awesome. So, yeah. you, so your mom was a fan? Your parents were fans? My parents were both fans. When my dad got oh. home, uh, let's see, before my dad went to Vietnam and when he got home from Vietnam, he actually had to leave his parents' house and go down the street to watch Star Trek. And then when I was a little kid, my grandfather had turned into a Star Trek fan by then. Um, So I had a cousin who was a few years older than me who told me that Star Trek had actually been on the air for years longer than I had ever seen. Right. And that there had originally been a different captain, and he told me about Captain Pike, and then when I was about five or six years old, I saw the menagerie. (laughs) And I was convinced until I was in junior high that there were 10 years of Star Trek out there that I had never seen. Um, Yeah. This is why we say knowledge is power. But yeah, sure, you're a kid and it's all kind of uh, out there. So uh, Captain Pike was the first first captain that had a recorded television episode about him. I'm sure everybody listening knows about this. Originally played by Jeffrey Hunter. Um, let's talk a little bit about who Captain Pike was as a character and his character within the show of Star Trek and how that was maybe different than Kirk. Yeah, um, I think, you know, it's funny because obviously at the time, it's the Pike and Kirk and all of that is just a matter of, you know, Gene. And, and again, the name, you know, the name went through, it, it was April. And then for about five seconds, it was Captain Winter. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had the there's a famous memo where they're going from the first pilot to the second pilot, and they're renaming. And there's like ten or twelve names in there: Captain Flag, Captain 
all kinds of things, and and uh, Kirk is in there. Drake is one, I think. But you know, the it, it, it's like a, a, a captain by any other name, right? Would yes. surely would surely captain is sweet or something. But um, Pike and the dynamic, the basic dynamic of what Gene wanted his captain to be, you know, based on Horatio Hornblower and and with the with the a style of of um, having little mini plays and many many morality stories in the guise of like uh, uh, you know Lilliput and uh, Gulliver's Travels that kind of a thing for for classical references that was Gene's impetus so you know having a captain and a first officer and and you know doctor and engineer and however else the crew played out was kind of standard and then as far as so they make a pilot the cage. It's incredibly turned down, but dang, I, I'm still amazed that as expensive and crazy and as much as NBC pulled out their hair making this pilot, somewhere between Herb Solo's, who was the Desilu program guy, you know, was it was Gene's ally in this, mm-hmm. somewhere between his persistence and maybe some actual good in the suits of NBC at the time, um, who included Grant Tinker, who you know was Mary Tyler Moore's husband and. And founder of the Mary Tyler Moore Studio and all that, but uh, that that array of people on the network side, instead of bashing the network, actually took a second chance with Gene. So the whole reason we're even talking about this is, you know, the, that the franchise existed at all because the show got on the air. But then the fact that we have this Pike Kirk dichotomy, you know, Jeffrey Hunter does not want to come back. Is is he and his wife apparently have decided that he's a movie actor and he had roles. He played mm-hmm. Jesus. He'd been in things before. He needed to springboard his career. Of course, he tragically died just four or five years later after apparently an aneurysm brain accident from a folly taken that that hit him. You know, came back later. Right. But before the decade was out, he was he had died by six by the end of like original Star Trek's timing. He had died. But just in the fact of having to recast the role, having Shatner, the need they felt to rename. I don't think anybody was sitting around thinking, hmm, now you know in the first season when we when we get picked – we make this second pilot with a new guy as a lead, and we get picked up as a series, and we get behind on production. We're going to want to use this first pilot footage, so let's give the new guy a new name. <laughs> and there are so many ifs in there too, you know, just like I, yeah, unheard I was, of. I, yes, unheard of ifs, but so I don't think that was the plan, so – I, I'm just thinking of this now as I'm, I've am i never thought of this before. I'd like to know what the decision point was. Maybe they just thought it was good luck. Maybe it was a licensing legal thing. Not licensing as in hardcore licensing. Maybe they just realized maybe it would be easier if they just renamed the character with a new actor playing it. I, you know, because how many times have we had shows where, you know, a pilot is done, they recast some of the players. My God, they're recasting the lead on this. But, you know, and they just they just leave them in the same name. So... Uh, now I now as we go through the you know my podcast with Roddenberry the Trek Files now yes. I want to find a piece of paper somewhere where they they had the decision made from 1965 you know as they get the chance to do a second pilot to rename the captain and not just keep it Pike because they again they went through two or three names even getting toward um, even getting toward Kirk oh yeah so all of this is like a happy well, my point is all of this is a happy accident and a lot of it. We're sitting here talking about Pike and Picard and Pike versus Kirk and all that. A lot of this just grew out of the fact that you had a different actor. And I think if you look at the writer's guide descriptions of April and Kirk, they're I mean they're not they're not dissimilar. They both talk about, you know, harking back to 
Horatio Hornblower and the loneliness of command and feeling responsible for the lives of the crew, I think what we may get down to – I don't know that there was ostensibly anything laid into Kirk that was that different than, than Pike. They were just trying to get the damn show on the air with the basic premise. I think a lot of what we've come to do is the fact that uh, different people played them, that Jeff Hunter and William Shatner are different people mm-hmm. and different actors. And then we you know, we saw one hour of Jeffrey Hunter playing Pike. We've had 55, you know, uh, 79 hours and six and a part, you know, seven movies and everything in between of Shatner playing Kirk. And that's obviously going to, you know, give a lot more room for development and over, you know, 30 years worth of portraying it. So um, we're, we're, you know, retconning up a storm here to go back to it. But as it turned out, just that one hour, it's very uneven tally of screen time. But if we want to extrapolate, because you go back and look at Kirk's one hour, if you look at just at Kirk and Shatner in one hour, you don't get all the nuance that you're going to eventually get, you know, that we get after all those portrayals. But if you, if you, even with one hour of Jeff Hunter, he was just a different actor, a darker, seemed like they were going more for the, the internal being external with him, brooding, you know, and maybe even prone to depression or whatever, but really taking it, you know, so that's, that's the root of all this, I think. Well, I was going to say my, my take on Pike and, you know, take it for what it's worth. Like I said, I was convinced there were 10 more years of Star Trek out oh, there yeah. for me to find. Um, back in the day where we didn't have video cassettes and you know the internet to steal from. Um, now that was the days of your geek arguments with your friends. Oh you, yeah, you couldn't whip out your iPhone and go look it up in two seconds. Exactly. Uh, matter of fact, I hate arguments I now where people automatically reach for their phone. I'm like, look, if you can't do this from memory, it's not an argument. You know? Oh, oh, are you one of those get off my my fan lawn, you kids? No, I'm not. I'm not so bad <laughs> as that. But if I'm if we're like having two drinks and I say who played Mrs. Howell. I expect you to dig through your memory, not your phone. Ah, okay. You know, that's 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 a. I want a conversation. I don't want somebody just to flash their phone at me. You know, here. You know, um, but Pike always seemed, again, like you're saying, we're going off of an hour or forty eight mm-hmm. minutes. Pike seemed to carry a heavy, heavy weight as captain. When we first meet him, and we don't really know what happened at Orion, something bad had just happened to that ship. Mm-hmm. And he's ready to like throw it all out the window and go become a pirate, or yeah. or maybe move back to Arizona or New Mexico, wherever it was. But he's like he—I don't remember Kirk being like that until he was in his fifties. Yeah, they had like, and again, a part of this is remember we're viewing this through the lens of a pilot, and mm-hmm. and again, maybe as we compare, and we've you were you you mentioned Picard and Pike. Yes. But if we're mentioning Kirk and Pike right now, maybe we should throw everything out and just look at the two pilots. If you want to get an apples to apples comparison here. Yes. Because unfortunately Jeff Hunter never had the chance to develop, you know, a Pike and maybe we're being skewed by this incredible um by this incredible uh like we're saying, this dark side to him, and not dark as in evil, but dark as in you know, in internalizing. And and uh, externalizing is internalizing. Sure, but uh, is, maybe we should just compare the Kirk of, of Where No Man's Gone Before to Pike of the Cage, um, because it's Kirk is much more. But in fact, the whole first season, Kirk is a lot more buttoned down. Yes, I think, I think somewhere between Shatner's uh, innate, you know, wanting to play around, 
and and uh, Gene L. Coon's propensity for wanting to bring out the humor of situations. Um, that's where we saw Shatner lightening up more than what maybe Gene had intended for his. You know, Gene had was was Air Force Army Air Corps. Gene had done you know was work was a was an LAPD cop, motorcycle cop, airline pilot, had written the lieutenant for a marine. I mean, a lot of his. You know, is for the humanist and the anti-establishment guy that we think about Gene Roddenberry being. A lot of his life had been in a uniform of some kind, and the order that that meant. So, and he, you know, when when he and and what we're getting to now is that he and Gene Kuhn parted ways. I'm sure Gene Kuhn's help that they didn't identify yet was in the way of this, but they parted ways because Gene was um, apparently not happy with as much humor creeping into the series as there had been. Which today now we think of as, oh, look at the diversity of the format of Star Trek. They can do straight drama and they can do, you know, trouble with tribbles and piece of the action. Ha ha. What a, what a great flexibility of format. Well, back then, I think Gene was like, oh, this is getting too silly. Too silly. Too silly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> For all the Python folks out there. But so, um, so uh, that's what I'm saying. So the, the Kirk we got to know is a big combination of Shatner's innate personality, as we know now, after 50 years of watching not just Kirk, but. 50 years of Shatner watching, right? Um, so again, it's unfair. Maybe we should compare just pilot to pilot. But you you, you do come across um, with the shade of just from that one hour. But again, a, the, 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 the nature of a pilot is that it's a, it's a work in progress. It's, it's obviously trying to get itself sold. It's trying to launch a series. But think how much evolves from the pilot of any show that you – I mean in Trek – I think a few things change from emissary and caretaker, and especially, you know, Farpoint. Um, oh, absolutely. You know, you know. I mean, that's just the nature of a pilot. So at the same time, that's all we've got for Jeff Hunter and Pike. So just bearing that caveat in mind, but still, you come away with yes, thinking that he's carrying a heavy, and maybe we're we're coming into them right after a particularly bad time, like we, you know, the the fight on Orion, which by the way is why some people said. Why is Spock limping when they're on Talos Four? Because he was hurt. He actually has a bandage on his hand, or, or not him. Um, Technician Fisher has a bandage on his hand. So they were trying to get across that they they had just been in a rough, in a really rough scrape. Yeah, and he, yeah, which he starts off with. Why? So uh, yeah. Now keeping in mind that we didn't actually see the cage as a standalone episode until what the nineties. Unless yeah, unless you were lucky enough to see Gene live. And even then, he only had his black and white reel copy of it because they cut. They thought the color reel was lost for years because it had been cut up for, you know, Desilu on a budget. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it had yeah. been cut up for inserting into Menagerie, and they thought the original, the unused Menagerie bits had all been lost, so they had a black and white print. You could see that if you were lucky enough to catch Gene on tour, but not until the late '80s, and they were first getting into video cassettes and tape and. You know, the I kept this because I didn't know if it would. Now it is. We've got YouTube, but at the time, the black and white slash color pieced together version that they actually put out on video is amazing. And then within a year of that, oh look, we found an you know here's a color reel in somebody's you know trash in somebody's basement. Yeah, none of us knew we had it, but here yeah. it is, everybody. So I say you and I say just since the late '80s, which anybody else is like, well, that was before I was born. And that's all good. But yes, we did not know for 20 years what the cage looked like intact and in color both. But 
Well, and it was a big secret to most folks. Most folks did not know. Well, and what's always surprised me is going back I mean, as, as an adult when you can actually like pick it apart and think about what's going on. There is a lot more story implied in that than we picked up on from the menagerie. Like we oh, didn't, yeah. we didn't realize just how bad whatever happened at Orion was supposed to have been mm-hmm. until we see that episode by itself. But yeah, but to see – so to see uh, the cage just intact on its own, you get back to having all those bits and pieces that were meant to launch a series. And you see the bits and pieces and uh, the characters or Pike's interaction with the characters like his yeoman or number one or even you know the, the, the guest cast on down the line, the guys mm-hmm. and, and guys and gals, mainly guys in those days. Oh, yeah. So – so yeah, to, but to see the cage intact again is a revelation. You see the bits of the ship and the technology that obviously would be dated by the time of, you know, even by the time of the original series, what they'd changed or spent more money on. But um, it it is a revelation to see it intact. And I, I I know the first time I and sometimes you'd see little bits of it even as the years went by, <laughs> and people were able to put their hands on things and and duplicate. You didn't have to see Gene at a convention. Maybe somebody had wound up with a copy of it and you just saw it at a convention, period. But, you know, before the YouTube era, everything online, um, if, you know, it wasn't broadcast for sure until the 80s, the late 80s. Mm-hmm. But if you were at a convention and more and more increasingly you had the opportunity, maybe in a film room, to see the original Uncut the Cage, you know, with the full story of Captain Pike. So you do get that whole dynamic, and and the fact that you know Doctor Boyce, it's really cute to have him walk in and <laughs> fix him a martini in his room, you know, kind of a thing. I I think one of my favorite things about that is that so much of the '60s era comes through in that scene. Yet mm-hmm. Gene Roddenberry and somebody else probably had the foresight to go, but there will not be smoking on my on my ship. We can have as many alcoholics as you want, but there will not be smoking in right. the future. There will always be room for some at least reasonable drinking. And yeah. then it's and then it's what's interesting well, you say that, and then we flash forward to the eighties and and it's the uh, it's the just say no era and here's right. Gene, one of the greatest hedonists of the world by the time he comes to maturity and they develop the idea of synthahol to be more PC and then within you know, then within ten years after Gene's passed, and by the time of especially DS Nine, and you're able to have characters like you know Quark and and uh, and and uh, Garrick mm-hmm. and all that, and you know just address alcoholism with Damar, or just you know you know make ridicule or make fun of Synthahol, or at least have characters that are like no, or even have the next gen characters in 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 the films, you know, looking at each other like, and this is not Synthahol, or you know, right. this is the real stuff. So it's like okay, we've got synth hall for as maybe a as as maybe a rational future projection as anything on the science or physics end of things, <laughs> on the social culture end of things. I mean, it's amazing synth hall and and remember what a what a radical idea the holodeck was. Not just the holography and interacting with it, but people were like, oh well, if you had sex on a holodeck, would you know what you know would the remains behind be there when you turned it off? I mean, there were so many wacky reactions to what hmm. holographic uh, scenarios would mean, and I mean, that was the first thing in '87 and '88. I remember people you know talking about, uh, but we've had 20 years of 
you know, not just not about so much about holography, but about uh, interactive experiences and pe- you know, gaming has become such a much bigger. We're not quite to the holographic game. We may be just a couple years away. Yeah, we're not far. But people, you know, and the thing, and it was, you know, Barclay and holodiction was such a new thing, and we we've certainly got a more mature angle on. Oh, that was a pioneering concept, but. We've dealt with that as a real-world aspect now, and even to the point by the end of DS9 and, and, and Voyager, they were talking about that just with the few years of like actual time going by in, in the real-world culture, being able to look at those aspects that way. So you know, the Telosians and reaching into your mind and doing it against your will and being a prisoner to that, not so far from you know, hollow diction and, and all that that might be in, but – just the fact that some of these concepts come along, they may be of their time, like, you know, Cynthia Hall. But we've come back, we've circled around now to where we're even looking at, well, of course, you know, addiction is not a good thing, but here's a more nuanced way of looking at it. Here's the way we're not, let's not blame the victim and it's not, not blame the disease. It's just a thing. And here's more of a spectrum of gray, you know. Yes, you, you know what? You actually can drink a lot and not be an alcoholic. Yes. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, or you can choose your, your times to do so. So it's it's just, you know, it's just another case of something is new and different and a breakthrough. But then as time goes by, you have a more nuanced way of looking at it. And so that's that that affects everything. So yeah. we're talking about Pike and 64. Somewhere along the way, we have to talk about even though it's the alternate universe, the, Kel- the Kelvin universe, Bruce Greenwood playing Pike, you know, much less Anson Mount now playing Pike and fleshing it out. In Prime, which I've been – everything I've seen is, is pretty encouraging to see, and maybe we'll get a chance to flesh that out beyond the dark brooding – I keep saying dark – more of a brooding mood that the Pike – that Jeffrey Hunter's Pike seems to be. And may, again, maybe it's just at the point we catch him. What's funny is we think of those early scenes for Pike, and I don't know about how pushing this along, but you, then you get through – the whole Telosian plot line, you see him reacting to Telosians, and he's defiant. He's a fight. he's a good action adventure lead guy, right? He, yes, absolutely. He fights the Kalar. He does all that. He comes out at the end. They win. The women all get involved. The rest <laughs> of the cast get involved. And you think, of, but think of like the tag scene when he when Vina's there. Now the menagerie, of course, changes the ending of the Cage's story. But you just think about they get away, they're back on the bridge at the end, and they take off, they have their little token Star Trek, you know, I used to call it a Flintstones ending, the little ha-ha moment. Yep. Uh, which has so far to evolve. It's just really between Boyce and Pike, but, uh, you know, Spock's not involved yet. But they had that moment. And so maybe we should, like, look at the tag of the cage and think, okay, here's Pike lightening up for a minute. You know, he's been through this ordeal on top of the ordeal he was through before. He, you know, he got beat up in, in, at Orion, and now here his brain's been ripped out of him, and his emotions have been ripped out, and now he's recovering to go on to the next mission and with a lighthearted moment. And you look at lighthearted, you know, tag scene, Pike. Is that even, more, you know, is that even more a reflection of a Pike that could have been? Uh, more closely, is you know, that not more, the Yeah, is yeah. that more Pike than what we saw in the previous forty-five minutes? Yeah, did they actually did as an actor and director and and pilot producer, everybody involved there? 
did they say, okay, did they look at it as an arc and say, okay, now this point that we're ending at here, when we get picked up and go to series, here's the point of departure for Pike right here, these last, this last 60 seconds. That's where we'll start with. Coming, yeah. from, that'll be our zero point. I mean, is that you know? I don't know if they got that far along. If it was just getting the the, the plot service, and that's just where this story ends up. But um, I don't think the um, and I'm not looking at it directly. I could be wrong, but I don't remember the writer's guide description anyway. Which immediately after you produce a pilot is you know loses its clout after mm-hmm. you get actually writing stories and watching dailies and writers start writing to actors bringing characters to life and you see what works and what doesn't work so much. I don't know, but I still don't think that Pike was designed to be – you know, I don't think it's like Next Gen wound up being the show it was, so DS9 was designed to be darker and grittier the way it was. I don't think that was what was going on with with Pike and Kirk. Oh, wow, Pike was turning out to be pretty brooding there, so let's have you know, Kirk be you know, much more of an uh, extrovert and you know, happy-go-lucky space warrior. Uh, diplomat. I don't think that was in the mix at all. Then I think they were just trying to get their heroic, square-jawed, you know, but able to go off and enjoy a shore leave type captain. Um, and it just came out different in the hands of a different actor. Okay. Well, and I'm gonna we're gonna kind of do some some gear switching here, but before we do too much, they have said that they might use the Talosians again going forward in Discovery now that it appears Captain Pike is going to be captain of the Discovery, at least temporarily. Well, that's a, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, the whole thing we're talking about Discovery right now is mm-hmm. are they just – I mean it's it's it would be a huge change in gears if Discovery turns into the Captain Pike and Spock show after the way it started. I mean I can't – I have to see them being like extended arc characters that go away right. after this year and how long they're in and whether that – you know, the Zindi year on Enterprise started off just going to be four or six episodes until they saw how it went and they got into it, saw how it went, and it wound up taking up the full year. And they, you know, but they didn't know that starting out. So maybe, you know, they they had written so much of the season before they started filming. And um, I mean, these these streaming shows they they script so much before they start filming. They've got their eight shows in now on I saw the other day on the Picard series, and they're not filming until April. Right. So they try to get you know under control and have control of the the flow of the arc for the season before they, you know, have any surprises midway. So I, it's just a shock to me that. I don't know. On one hand, you might say, well, of course, if this becomes a huge hit and they like what they're seeing in the dailies. Why run away from something just because you had a plan six months ago? You know, that, that'd be foolish. Or is it a case of, hey, if if it's that successful, let's just spin off the Captain Pike and Spock show. What a come down it would be for the origins of Discovery and these actors and these characters and what all was planned for the show to have it change midstream. That's kind of, I don't say a whiff of desperation, but a whiff of you know instability or whatever so i have a hard time thinking they're going to take oh it's going to become the pike and spock show but I, I don't think it would in the long term but i could see them doing you know like a six episode arc with it right yeah. right right out of the 13 and they're getting oh wait they 14 they started with 13 they're not doing 15 but they're doing they did add a show right they added an episode in Right, so we're talking about 14. Yeah, I, I am one that while I would love to see what's going on with the Solosians, I 
I think the temptation to use them is too great, and they should probably be left on Talos Four. <laughs> you know, not to well, right, right. And we're we're supposedly four years after that, four right? Or five years after that, so. And you know what? When they say use the Talosians, maybe it's like a reference. Maybe it's a screen. Maybe it's a <laughs> yeah. That I'd be okay you with. Know, they're I... they're yeah. To to because part of this is is a PR promotional punch. They're running stuff up the flagpole to see who salutes oh, and who subscribes. Yeah. Which which know. bowl of spaghetti is going to stick to the wall here? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So um, I, well, I I have always thought it was weird that the Talosians kind of cease to exist. Now look, we know it's a death penalty. Whatever, but. I, they cease to exist, but every few years during the next gen movies, you would hear, "Oh, it'll be a Talosian who sells them this." And I'm thinking, "No, don't, no, no, don't do that." <laughs> oh, I hadn't heard that, but okay, but yeah, but it's is a that's that's the odd thing is they keep expand. It's like you know people say, "What have happened to the Denobulans? You know, or whatever happened to the Zindi? I mean, it's one of those creatures of just the the way TV and movies and passage of time. I'm sorry. Uh, on the good news is your franchise is going to last a hundred years. The bad news is your franchise is going to last a hundred years. Yeah, you know. That's, yeah, that's a left-handed curse if you've never seen one coming right there. <laughs> um, let's go ahead. Let's let's skip ahead a little bit here. Well, and we could talk real quick. Oh, I mean, Picard. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely want to get to Picard. We could talk real quick. Bruce Greenwood's Pike was a very different Pike in the uh, the Kelvin timeline. Yeah, much more balanced, much more fatherly, paternal. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, of course, we saw him through the lens of how he dealt with with little, you know, uh, rebel boy Kirk. Exactly. So, of course, he's, his paternal side, I think, is going to come out. But um, then you saw him as action when he's being tortured and put through the ringer. You kind of saw the, you know, the the action hero end of it, the oh, stoic, whatever. Certainly. And we can get a sense, and I, I am one that believes that when you alter timelines, it ripples in every direction. So just because the Kelvin came through at this point doesn't mean the only changes were after. So we could definitely see a Pike oh, right. who, is, who is very different than the Pike we met before. And Orion, obviously Talos didn't happen. And we can think maybe even Orion didn't happen as well. I, I'm not. I've never looked at the dates to see how it would fit together. I just. I have to assume that the Pike we got in the Kelvin timeline was right. A this is very this is roughly event. within a year or two of those events happening. But the Kelvin mm-hmm. universe had existed for 20 years now. So yeah, ish. So right. So a lot would be a very a lot of the circumstances around Pike would be very different. So we are getting basically a brand new character when that comes about. Right. Yeah. So that was my take. I do want to talk a little bit about Picard, and I know my dog's freaking out of cutting to our time a little bit here, so we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna speed up and jump ahead a tiny bit. Yeah. Um, now, but let's... we have seen a little bit more of Picard than we have of Pike. Oh, so a, maybe... a tiny bit. A Probably touch, the, the captain we have seen the most of is exactly. Picard. Yeah, by a lot. I mean, mm-hmm. even more than Kirk, because we had. Four more seasons, I mean, shorter seasons, but four more seasons of Next Gen and almost as many movies. Yeah. Well, not, no, not shorter. About this, you know, they were 24, 26 episode seasons on the original series. You're right. Just as much, yeah. Yeah, you're right. They weren't, they, yeah, (laughs) seasons weren't that much shorter yet. I forgot about that. Um, so we have seen more of Pike or Picard than we have just about anybody. Picard. Yeah, Picard was a very different captain than Kirk as well. Um, and I've yeah. heard I've heard people say that Kirk was Gene Roddenberry in his thirties, 
mm-hmm. and that Picard was Gene Roddenberry, or who he wanted to be in his fifties and sixties. That's that's he was yeah reflecting him as a mature man. Mm-hmm. Also, Kirk is a reflection of the sixties action hero type. Mm-hmm. You know, the James Bond, James West from Wild Wild West. I mean, he was more you know the whole show was as as evolved as original. Now we watch it and go. Eh. But you know he's got the girl, he's got the fist fight. You know he you know he subdues Khan with a fist fight, really. Um, but that was the '60s, and as as elevated and and before we say, oh, Star Trek was just a product of its time. Well, go back and watch 95% of the other one-hour dramas. <laughs> on you know, get some perspective again about how how different Trek was in its time, much less how it stood up over the years. So you know, and and we look at Next Gen now and go, oh, it was. You know it, these shows as much as we. It's such a testament to all of them. We're still even talking about them. You've oh, got absolutely. to go back and think about them in their own time and what they were. And even if they took a, we think about Next Gen taking a year or two to find its sea legs. You know, in the time it wound up, you know, igniting a fan base and igniting, you know, such a, you know, it was the most popular show and it was syndicated. Next Gen was syndicated, which is insane. But in, how insanely popular, especially after Best of Both Worlds, and that's when the, their numbers went through the roof and. What they were, you know, it was Next Gen's ratings were higher than Monday Night Football and Roseanne and all the hit shows of the day once they got going. So, you know, there is that. But, um, but uh, what always struck me was after we they were on long enough for these things to come out, there are two, there are a couple of comments. Uh, we were, you know, uh, Kirk in his fight, I mean, uh, Picard in his fight with the Nausicans. And and one thing that Kirk says in in the first pilot when they were very you know early on writing Kirk, the one thing that's amazingly different about Kirk and Picard, and this puts it, you know what's what does Kirk say about himself? He was a stack of book with legs. Mm-hmm. Kirk was the intense student at the academy who winds up being the so-called you know womanizer of the galaxy or whatever the cowboy diplomat. Picard is the uh, you know crazy hell all you know no holes barred. Hellraiser when he's at the academy and gets stabbed for it, and then becomes you know the guy who calls the staff meeting every five. Mi- I mean, I'm going with the tropes here, but you know what I'm saying? It's like they started from different ends of the spectrum and crossed in the middle as they matured, and and character-wise. Now, part of that again is like you said, Gene maturing. Part of that I think is the '60s Kirk of that time and Picard of the '80s when things had become more nuanced and and you had an ensemble cast. So the lead of the show didn't have to carry so much weight, and you could delegate some of those. You could have a Riker be the number two and be the, you know, the replacement Kirk and all right. that. Until until Patrick Stewart, the actor, rebels and says he wants more sex and shooting, and suddenly that captain doesn't beam down in you know, every away team fixed to the original series trope. Why would you put your captain on every you know landing party? They fixed that, and then the reality of TV production and actor ego came in and. They found ways to get Picard. You know, they, they started doing that after all. But um, that's that's everything that's in play. We talk about these captains and times. I mean, it's important to think about the time they were. But in the end, we can't help but want all Star Trek to be perfect, right? And, oh, exactly. And look, at, look at it as it's all even. We're all looking at everything in hindsight, and and Kirk really was a hundred years before Picard, and and all of that. But it's it's in the mix. It's in the mix. But that's you know some of what's behind the differences. I think. So all of those things are in the mix when we were comparing these captains, but then still we have to compare the captains and we have to go on something. But, but uh, yeah. 
Well, and I think that's that's maybe maybe comparing Pike and Picard was the the wrong starting point. Maybe it was comparing both to Kirk to see where we ended up or where we could go from there. Maybe that mm-hmm. was the right the right way to t- go, and that's the direction you took it, which is why you're my go-to Star Trek guy. Oh, I wasn't trying to. Bl- <laughs> we just kind of evolved there. I wasn't yeah. trying to blow up your plan. Well, there's a there's Jeremy. a there's a buddy of mine that lives down in your neck of the woods who um, he says the IRS calls him an editor, but he is one of those guys that like I think I know a lot about Star Trek, and then when he opens his mouth, I'm just like I know nothing about Star Trek. But he and I were talking one time, and he goes, look, he goes, I think Star Trek kind of got its head up itself at one point and became this, you know, oh, look at this very evolved thing. He goes, when I watch Star Trek, it's about, you know, three swinging dicks running around shooting things with lasers. So I watch a different Star Trek than everybody else. <laughs> well, there's a little bit of that. Of course, oh, there one is. Of those one of those swingers I love to watch, you know, and McCoy is my, is my you know, heartfelt old original favorite character even though i love them all mm-hmm. uh i just never thought he got the back in the day you couldn't find him i've said this many times you couldn't find a mccoy t-shirt or, or a scotty t-shirt or something i mean it was all kirk spock kirk spock so i was a big underground uh, underdog you know backer but i used to love the way with my eye on mccoy how you know one week he'd be in there swinging and the next week he's the wimp yeah and then one week he's swinging in the fight and then you know one week he can't fight in the gladiator you know, and then one week uh, he's holding a machine gun on <laughs> on the Iocean. So uh, it's funny what they they never. It's like just McCoy just fit in how they needed him to fit in in the action. So well, it's it's funny because as you point that out, you realize that McCoy was actually a well defined character who was often shuttled back to a poorly defined role when it was needed. He right. Was, you know, he was a role player in in where it, where it was required. Well, that which just speaks the which is where he started. That which is what his original intent was. You know, mm-hmm. the, again, '60s format was lead, second banana, everybody else. Yep. And and there's five. You know, the little five or whatever. But but DeForest Kelly and everybody eventually Jimmy Doohan, but D. Kelly even within a year, what he brought to McCoy and also the way McCoy and Spock sparked on film and they started writing to that. And after a while, it was just like Bob Justman said, we have got to elevate D. Kelly. And the whole point of the, you know what's what's important, people say, well, yeah, and he's in the opening titles after the opening credits after the first season. Well, that's not just an ego thing. That meant he got residuals. He's a, that's the above the line, below the line. And yes. after second and third season, he got whatever. And you say that nobody got residuals out of the original series because it was 60s contracts, which is why they were all running around being icons of the 70s and still having to pay, you know, going broke paying their mortgages, including Gene Roddenberry. Oh, yeah. Which is the irony of the '70s, but um, but yeah, it's um, you know D. Kelly, DeForest Kelly definitely made that. They all did, and and all, the other thing that's odd about original series and Next Gen that I've reflected on is since they're the only two iterations that got movies as a reward, right? Uh, after they were series people, um, the original series started off with that '60s caveat, but then everybody they made they took pain. It was still a Kirk and Spock. You know, with D as a third, but they took pains in the better movies, and some fared better than others over time. But everybody, they tried to at least have one good scene or one good mini arc for everybody, as the uh, in the original series movies for Scotty and Uhura and mm-hmm. Sulu and whatever and Chekhov. And the, the 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 to me the reverse happened. Next Gen came out of the ensemble '80s revolution, you know, with 
Hill Street and L.A. Law and all that. And then when they went to film, it reverted to <laughs> we have to have lead, you know, second lead, and then everybody else. Yeah. And, it, and it went into a billing thing because of the with the movie, you know, the Data and Picard yeah, show. Was, yeah. yeah, it was the Data Picard show, and everybody else became everybody else. Even the point where Data wasn't the second in command, you know. But he, it was, it came down to a peck, which is what Hollywood does. And when it comes down to contracts, it's a business thing based on your cloud and fame. That's what billing is about, right? It's who's you know top of the marquee, and it went that way. It had always been that way with the original series, so that part of it wasn't hard. It was just a matter of how much would the underlings get. But as far as what they got on screen, the movies were a great democratization of the cast family to me from the original series, and it was just the opposite with Next Generation, which, again, it was like the, it was just kind of ironic after we had enough time to to kind of you know be able to have the distance to see that but yeah and those are the only two examples obviously that we have so well that's that is interesting i never really considered it that way i mean obviously we noticed that you know oh sulu's captain of the ship and hey how long have uh uhura and scotty been dating you, you, yeah. pick those, you pick those things out, but you don't really like concentrate on the fact, oh, look, that is becoming a more ensemble group, whereas the ensemble group is just the two of them now. I hadn't really... Unfortunately, yeah. yeah. Which is, you know, but what you hear, when you hear Michael Piller, sadly, originally trying to talk about his hopes for insurrection being, let's get back to more of the family feeling, mm-hmm. aside from how his concepts and how the plots got, sab- not sabotaged, but got committed to death. I'll say, um, and you know, you can get his book now. It's available. Sandra Pillar, his, his widow, has it. Uh, it's called um, Oh Fade In, Fade In, and she's got it. It oh. was a kind of underground as a PDF online. If you could grab it, and people got. He gave me when I was doing the last edition of the Companion, the Next Gen Companion. He gave me a printed out copy of it when after it had been turned down for publication by one executive at Paramount it had nothing to do with licensing. It was one guy who didn't want so much studio process exposed, which is laughable. It's like the last gasp of old school ivory towerism in Hollywood. Now it's all about transparency and, you know, the creators running out to have their Instagram accounts blow up with how much they can talk about without being <laughs> a spoiler. But back in the day, even the narrative in a book was too you know standard what you think of now is just like showing the the decision making process it kind of blew up exploded somebody's brain so anyway but yeah. anyway i'm glad on sandra for getting it and michael was just writing a straight ahead making a book like he'd been reading and seeing the rest of us write for ages and it, it's just sad but it's out now you can read about the struggle that he had his original ideas what that would have been like if you're thinking about insurrection the way it was but his stated goal was to which is what he did with the next generation when he came and was one of the, I'll say, four people, five people who, quote, unquote, saved Star Trek along the way, mm-hmm. getting getting it out of plot of the week and more into the family who has a plot of the week. But then because now you can have mi- more mini arcs going undercurrent without it being the plot, the A or the B story, you can still have references and have a long term, you know, character arc yeah. in a world that demands your stories be standalones for syndication. So my point here is that we're talking about the family, and we got off on this topic of family and, and the inverse action that happened to the next-gen family becoming stratified into a billing order for the movies. 
and he fought that, and whether or not you say, well, he failed in trying to make a family. Well, I think he did, and so what's the curse? The curse comes back, and people say, well, Insurrection just feels like a big-budget two-part TV episode. <laughs> it's like, well, is that a backhanded way of saying? It feels like Star Trek. <laughs> it feels like Star Trek, right. I know, yeah. I know. And then, and then Nemesis was... You know, again, trying to write a scene for everybody and, you know, coming to well, it's, success with that. You know, Nemesis, to me, will always be a thing I call the, the curse of the Wrath of Khan. It's, we love the Wrath of Khan so much that it, it mm-hmm. kind of ruined other parts of Star Trek for us. You know, that Well, it's, like, it's the bar that everybody goes to, to this day, to mm-hmm. this day, the movies, yep. you know, think about that. They all put their put their... The structure and the villain and or the adversary or whatever, and everybody tries to find their way back to that. And um, yeah, yeah. And it's while I love the Wrath of Khan, there are times where I'm just like, you know, it feels like Newman on Seinfeld to me. Just yeah, Khan, <laughs> you know, I can't. <laughs> I, the Wrath of Newman. Yeah, I just, I just I can't believe that you've done it to us again, even <laughs> to the point where they remade it in a slapdash, half-assed manner like they did, and I'm just like, this should have been so good, yet you've done it again. But, oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I'm, I've almost said something that would have dated me so much. I'm not even going to uh, go there, but it's it's uh, quite all right. Yeah, yeah. But um, let's go ahead. We'll, we'll kind of go back to my original. What was piece. our topic? Yeah, we'll, we'll <laughs> Pike kinda, and Picard. Pike and Picard. Well, so we were the, trying to illuminate Picard there a little bit. Yeah. But, well, know. not really, and absolutely. Big, so big. with Picard, I've always noticed, or my my takeaway with Picard is he was a more brooding and introspective mm-hmm. and thoughtful and standalone man. Which you know, like you said, that's sometimes that's just maturity. But those were attributes that I had always put with Pike as well. I see. Yes, yes. I mean, and, and yes, that was that was not development. That was part of Picard at mm-hmm. the beginning. Because they, it was a rea- I say every series is a reaction away from the series before it. Yep. And Picard, and Picard, you know, Next Gen was meant to be an ensemble show. Was meant to be a more thoughtful captain, a captain that didn't do cowboy diplomacy and dash down as. You know, there was there were ten, fifteen years there to pontificate on what was which I got into the companion when I wrote it, which David Gerald had done in his books and people had talked about for years, was it's crazy to have you, you invest all this money in a captain. In the real navy, captains don't go on they're not in the boarding parties. Right. Right? You send underlings. It's the same thing with the equivalents in army and other military operations. You don't put your top guy that's medieval. You know, like the Civil War was the last, you know, Patton may have wanted to be out there in the front, but even he didn't jump out in front, yeah. you know, of the line. So some of that was was baked into the cake of Picard, that that would be more, and again, in Patrick Stewart rebelled against it a little bit. But that was that was intended to be the more mature, thoughtful captain. And as far as being, you know, and it, I don't know, what time, at what point does being introspective and thoughtful become uh, brooding and become <laughs> overly introspective. So that's the way the story and the way you play it. But Exactly. Um, the other things that I... And these are the, my two superficial connections between those characters. Pike and Picard both have very similar names, and they both love horses. <laughs> oh, that's right. Well, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, the, the bits about Pike... We this is good because we don't stop it and and you know what this is all good. as we watch Anson Mount's Pike develop a prime Pike develop on Discovery a lot of these nuances are going to come to the fore and people will be going back and reflecting at 
I don't know the the you know our younger Trek folks will be probably be mindful of Bruce Greenwood, but just the fact that it's it's uh, Kelvin Universe, not Prime, and the pr- only Prime we have is Jeffrey Hunter's one hour or right. forty eight minutes. A lot of these points are gonna we're, we're we're turning over a lot of things that are gonna come in the forefront here in the next few months, I think, or or just disappear. Anson Mount will within two episodes be more Pike than Jeffrey Hunter was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And everything we know about Pike can slip away. That will might just be that was that one that one day of his life. Exactly. And that was that. Exactly. Well, and we've you know occasionally we're we're on the verge of having that happen with uh, Harry Mud here with mm-hmm. Rain Wilson's portrayal. Even in the short treks, it was all mud all the time there for fifteen minutes or whatever, eighteen minutes, whatever, and um, rounding out Roger C. Carmel, but. Um, but that's that's the beauty of uh, as long as it's done well and the world doesn't rise up in rebellion <laughs> and exactly. say, oh, my God. And um, what we've seen, I mean, first they start off with not to be superficial. There are probably a lot of good actors they could have cast for Pike, but starting off with Anson Mount, who people have – we got it the moment they cast him. Oh, my God, he has a resemblance to Jeffrey Hunter, yep. which is awesome, way more than – you know, I don't think that inhibited them with Bruce Greenwood, um, and they and they did kind of go for looks with the, with the main cast in the Kelvin in the JJ movies. But yes, but uh, yeah, and and just the little bits we see of the Anson Mount teasers in the promo trailers and all, he seems um, he seems like he's got a lot a lighthearted side. He seems like he's got a more Kirkish side to him. So it will be interesting to yeah to watch what our perception of Pike. Through the through the Jeffrey Hunter cage filter, how that evolves as we see what uh, Anson Mount and Discovery do with Pike. Yeah. So, yeah. Larry, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit a somber point before we cut off. Uh, oh case. no. Yeah. So I, I did notice that as 2018 ran to a close, all of a sudden a number of announcements of new Star Trek projects hit. And I had mild flashing fears of the last 90s reside within my soul at that point. My my contra, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, how much Star Trek is too much Star Trek, do you think? Oh, you mean at one point? Yes. At one you're time. Talking, you're talking about the burnout factor. Yeah, yeah. Where does, where does that exist? Yes. Because we seem to be going through it with Star Wars right now as well. That's true. Uh, okay, well here's here's my thought on that. Number one, since I don't live and breathe Star Wars, I'm just I kind of see that from a distance even more than than uh, I, I enjoy Star Wars. It's, mm-hmm. I, but yeah, you can't avoid that. And even even you might say the superhero universe, DC, and even Marvel now, it's almost seemed like all the all the gauntlets of the last ten years that have led the pop culture revolution, led the Comic Con revolution here, as far as getting you know nerddom and geekdom out of the closet. Uh, all those years that Star Trek was in the fallow times and everybody else was taking the free, even the comeback of Doctor Who, that they were running high and Trek was left behind. And now they seem to be rightly or wrongly, and I think a lot of this is artificially created, but um, it seems like they're stumbling a little bit. There's some internal dissensions, maybe handling it, it, I think maybe it's inevitable, but when you're riding high on top of the mountain, it's not so much about who's trying to knock you off as, you know, when you're in – it's like a party, a political party when they're in power. After a few years, the rifts emerge. 
you know, will success spoil Tab Hunter, I guess, or whatever. But, ooh, I just dated myself again. But It was a nice reference then. I, I, my point here is that Star Trek has been out in the desert for so long that I think there is a big pent-up demand and hunger. So my first reaction, with the basic caveat, is as long as there are no absolute stinkers, no absolute clinkers, okay? And I know we've had a lot of debate on on um, on discovery among a lot of fans. I think it's a little overstated. I still have my criticism. I think a lot of things can be chalked up to starting up a whale oil machine after such you know with a completely new team mm-hmm. and the rough birth that discovery had that's not going to be the dna in the case with hashtag picard show even lower decks even whatever else comes down the section 31 show or the academy show they'll all have their pluses and minuses but they won't have the same uh, even the even the barrier of people getting used to streaming a show Discovery has breached that, and more other, and you know, more other content makers like ABC and Disney and all that are going to have their own streaming. And in 20 years, they may look at CBS as the pioneer, you know, that broke the outsider mold of streaming like Netflix and Hulu had and Amazon Prime. So that all said, um, burnout. As well, as long as they're well produced. I think we've got a backlog here, a reservoir, and the thing that we're seeing already, even right now in the moment, Discovery is what it started out to be, and even it's evolving. Picard, I have this idea that we haven't heard. I saw some recently. They keep talking about, oh, it's a much different show than Discovery in tone. I think everybody's – I said at the beginning, it will not be – a bright, shiny admiral or diplomat sitting in a bright, shiny bridge with a bright, shiny crew around him. That's not what this will be. A, it's the times right now. But even then, I think it'll be much more introspective and not be an ensemble show. I'm just guessing here, but I'm just thinking for Patrick to be attracted to it, the core will be Picard, but I think they'll want to be very attuned to what are some of the ways of storytelling right now, even over a you know a connected ser- a connected season on streaming. Yeah. Maybe even it's they're going to show his last his last years. Maybe it's like one last quest. Maybe it's one last covert mission. I mean, I had some questionnaires on my, you know, my site. I have a newsletter I do once a month, and occasionally I do a survey. And I was asking people. I threw a bunch of ideas out just to get people thinking, and got some reactions. But I don't. I think it was very simplistic to think that it was going to be here's old Picard because I don't think any creative wants to do the same old same old. And I think Pat, led by Patrick, but at the same time being true to the core of the personality maybe just in a different in a, in a different place in his life and he's older and in a practical way it's not going to be patrick putting in 16 hour days shooting a you know he's not going to take the lead of the screen time even they there will be actors and cast around him and it'll it's a short season it's you know 13 episodes or whatever so it's half the length of an old season right. but even 13 episodes and some of the strenuousness that they put people through with green screen now and and whatever's you know, mechanical effects and all that can be strenuous, but they'll still have long days. And he's he's in great health. You have to have some kind of stamina to do that. But they're going to find ways to. He's not going to have to carry, you know, the the show and and show that on screen. I mean, there'll there'll be ways of doing that, maybe lengthening the schedule out. So all of that will go into a mix of what the show will be. My point is, it's going to be different in tone. The animated show is it's going to be its own thing. These other series ideas will be their thing. I think 
what may happen here is – I mean we look at DS9 as being, oh, the darker and grittier version of Next Gen, and then Voyager was the last show. But they were – at a certain distance, they all – I mean the writing tone wound up evolving so much differently on Voyager than on DS9, right? And they were a little more evolved than Next Gen in some ways, and then Enterprise was its thing. But they you, – you step back. They all still look about like a medium-height guy with brown hair about 5'10 or 5'11. Yeah, yeah. You know? And I think we're going to see a much – we may wind up seeing – we talk about piece of the action and Tribble stretching the envelope for the original series of what was possible. I think we're going to see the envelope stretching not in a radical way but just in some thoughtful, obvious, and maybe way overdue ways that show that the Star Trek universe and the franchise is really elastic. And just because people haven't been calling – I think if it's done smartly, some of the good thinkers – who come from TV who may be fan boy and girls, or maybe they're not. But I just think we're going to see the envelope stretched way beyond what it's been, and not to say that it's going to be painfully stretched. You know what I'm saying? I, I so do. That, so that the burnout factor does not happen. We're not going to see because we think about, oh my God, DS9 and Voyager being at the same time, and the audience split then. But the world, the other factor in this is the world is different, and the way we consume media and what people expect of media and and everybody under 40 who grew up you know with their hands glued to a keyboard or a touchscreen they experience media differently than people in even the 90s did and what burnout would be and and people are savvier about not repeating those kind of mistakes so i think that whole mix i'm not worried about it versus we're talking about these say like you said star wars we're talking about movies we're talking about a universe. We're talking about some turnover there. I mean, I'm not a Star Wars huge fan, but I know what like I would have liked. And I, I, you're not talking about demanding. You're talking about people buying movie ticket, maybe repeating that a few times, and then going out and buying merchandise. And that's how you support that and playing the game, whatever game you know, the online game, video game, you know, buying the comics and the books. I mean, that's different dynamic than a TV show. It's always has been. And Star Trek lingered because of that comparison in the last 10, 15 years, and movies ran the thing. Now people are talking about movies as a whole being nothing but big flagship tentpole extravaganzas. There's no room for small, quiet, you know, independent movies, and that's moving into indies, and that's what's fueling the the premium. You know, now you've got little independent movies on TV, on HBO, and the streaming. Or they're breaking them into ten-part miniseries, streaming series. Yeah. Or it would have been a movie or two, twenty years ago, and actors and writers and directors are flocking to that because they're stuck with nobody's doing movies now, but the big, three hundred, four hundred million dollar extravaganza superhero blockbusters. So it's, I mean, again, we were talking about Star Trek. That's a big media landscape that all this is playing out against. So no, I am not worried buttressed by the fact that we've just had no Star Trek for so long that Rick Berman used to say you can go to the well too many times too often, and, and he was worried about that in the 90s. I think unless some, there's a real boner thrown out there that we're okay for a while, yeah. and we'll get there. But I think right now, I think these are just such baby steps that no, we're not worried. We shouldn't be worried, and yeah. we shouldn't compare it to the Star Wars and the, and the, super, the DC and Marvel I just I worry when I start hearing like so we've done one season of Discovery. You're a good boy to worry. Yeah, well, I'm I'm a worrier. That's how I had my first heart attack at 45. It's what I do, 
And, you know, uh, it's like Sony. They came out with, they're getting ready to reboot Spider-Man, and they're going, and then we'll have the Sinister Six, and we're going to have a shared universe with Fantastic Four. And I'm thinking, get get a good movie out before before you do all that. Just just put a good movie on the screen. And the I just... planning is good, but, I mean, that's been one of the things I've ridiculed for ages, is that's, that's my go-to, is... How many t- like the rebooting of Batman and the rebooting of Spider-Man? Like every four years, it's a new actor playing a new, whether it was a hit or a miss, and that's the reason for going on. And that's and that is the strength. Kelvin universe recasting aside because time, mm-hmm. but that's been a strength of Star Trek, and we love to you know I do I it's kind of a family thing you know you can make fun of anyone in your family but by god nobody outside the family can do that you know darn right so yeah you can talk about uh you know the can I'll talk about the canonistas but I are one you know mm-hmm. so but that's that's a strength of star trek that I keep saying when people wonder about some of the upset with discovery on the visual side of things yeah to a point, and it's been very revealing to see how much of Trek fandom says, I don't care about the looks. It's about Star Trek is about the concept and the future and and the diversity and the and the, you know the uh, optimism. Don't you know that? Who cares about what color the buttons are? You know. Well, my point is, it's all of that because there have been lots of thoughtful, uplifting, aspirational stories and even franchises over time. The one thing that set Star Trek apart was the canon devotion, even though there, you know, been missteps along the way. That's the one thing, you know, Star Trek did not recast Spider-Man every every four years, right? You know, and that's been the difference to me. Another difference to me between Star Trek and everything else. And of course, yes, Doctor Who is meant to reboot itself. That was baked in the cake. That's that was great. And James Bond does that, you know. Every so many years, there's a new Bond, and okay, and it just kind of becomes timeless. <laughs> you know what? We're not in the Cold War anymore. Okay, now we're in the, you know, whatever the backdrop is, the way they're really made. But Star Trek is not like anything else that way. And and people that don't get that at first, that's why I always love when people talk about the Star Trek movies versus the Star Wars movies. And it's like Star Trek was not. Like movies are extra. Don't compare. That's apples and oranges to me. And um, and even though it's a thing and it's out there and it's viable and they're going to make movies, they're, you've got to be up up for that over time. But I just – it's such a different critter. It was not built for the movie screen. And um, just like the superhero movies, it's been a long time coming. They were created as pulp characters on paper, right? Yes. And – and we went through an era where sometimes comic book characters were like the Saturday morning serials, live action, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s. And then they were TV movie animation on Saturday morning was fine for that because it was cartoon, cartoon. But then you had like the, ba- the, you know, the TV movies in the 70s, you know, for things, uh, some of them, or even like the Hulk on as a series. But, um, They've evolved as far as how the general population is – what they've been perceived as. You know, Like, oh, now it's literature and we can have big-budget movies, and CGI has evolved to be able to handle it too, which helps sell it. But I, uh, this is all a continuum, and I don't know. I'm, I'm going somewhere, and I don't know where I'm going now, so I'll shut up. But. Well, you know, <laughs> I, I am sure by this point in the, in the afternoon I've taken up enough of your time. Oh, so I, what, what we will do is um, 
we will reconnoiter sometime after Discovery runs, and then we'll we'll see if this conversation led us anywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. it's 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 rekindling me wondering what what our our thing about the, our perceptions of Pike mm-hmm. and and what percentage of our perception comes from the cage and what and if the Discovery you know screen time will overshadow that now in people's popular perceptions, or if there'll be pushback, or if there'll be a comfy fit or not a comfy fit. That'll be all interesting to see. Yeah. Um, just just so I can throw this out there and somebody else can maybe take the idea and run with it. Years ago, I was working on a, um, a 3D, uh, not animated, but a 3D generated Star Trek story about Pike called Turtles All the Way Down, which was about a Pike who never really was sure if he left Talos or not. Ooh. And, yeah. And it's one I, I, I wrote most of the story. I even like puts together the character concepts as they were going to be rendered, but I never finished. And uh, if somebody else out there who's a better artist or writer than I am wanted to steal that idea, I would love to see what they did with it. So I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> Turtles all the way down. I'm yep. still hung up on your title. That's interesting. OK. Yeah. Let's, what, somebody's idea of cosmology, it might be Hindu or somebody else, the, the, the world sits in a bowl on a turtle's back. Oh, right, right, right. And then, okay, but what's that turtle on? It's a turtle. <laughs> How about under that turtle? Another turtle. Well, where's that in? No, it's just turtles all the way down. All the way down. I got you. Yeah. Okay. So it might have been too heady a title, but that was where I went. Well, Larry, real quick before we go, thank you for joining me. And if people want to check out Portal 47 or Tuesdays Live, what, what again, is the easiest way to do that? Yeah, just LarryNimacek.com on, online, but also uh, at LarryNimacek on Twitter. That's pretty simple. Uh, really, on Facebook, I've got pages for all these things. But again, Larry Nimacek's Trekland on Facebook. And uh, that's also my Instagram account, too. All right. And everybody, remember, you can check out the newly re-released Stellar Cartography at tinyurl.com slash Maps. Larry, thank you again. It's always a blast talking to you. Oh, Jeremy, thanks so much, too. Yep. And for Larry Nemechek and myself, Jeremy Vilmer, bye-bye, everybody. Check well.